Our scripture reading for today is from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler and the synagogue, of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Lord be with you. Uh, Welcome, everyone. I just want to give a shout out to uh, James. He um, didn't even introduce himself, but. He's going to be joining uh, part of the rotation in leading praise, so thank you for uh, leading us today. Welcome. Uh, Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this day that you have made. Yeah, we're just so grateful to be here, um, to worship, and to once more hear your word. And so now, in the hearing of your word, help us to open our hearts, our minds, our ears, to hear the word that you have for us. And in that hearing, help us to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be challenged, and to delight in you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, 
I imagine all of you have a favorite passage in the Bible or stories in the Bible that are especially meaningful. This is one of those passages for me. A little more than um, three decades ago, it's hard to say that, three decades ago, um, I was a second year seminary student and I inexplicably chose this passage in preaching class to write my first sermon. So this was the first sermon in which I actually wrote out a full manuscript. We were allowed to preach from any passage in the four gospels. And it's a mystery to me why I chose this passage, but it's the one I chose. What's less of a mystery is that in that first sermon, I focused almost entirely on Jairus and pretty much ignored the two women in the story. I spoke about how Jairus had to wait and how faith requires a lot of waiting and that how hard it is to wait, especially in a culture of instant gratification. I preached that sermon later to a group of youth. I was a youth pastor then, and I preached it as a single, young, inexperienced man. And I tried to persuade the kids to be patient, to wait on God. I missed a lot back then. Now, as you just heard, the story of Jairus seeking healing for his daughter is interrupted in the middle of that story by an unnamed woman seeking healing for herself. This is a common literary technique where one story is sandwiched in between another story, and the two stories are supposed to elucidate one another. So for example, you can see how Jairus and the women are set in dramatic contrast. In terms of their status in society, they are polar opposites. And their approach to Jesus reflects that difference. Jairus is a man, a respected ruler of the synagogue, in Greek what they call an archetsu nagogos. She is a woman, a disenfranchised outsider, unremarkable and anonymous. Jairus is a name that everyone recognizes as honorable. She is unknown, unnamed, and forgettable. Jairus has a home and likely many financial resources. She has been impoverished by the doctors and lives in and among the poorest. Jairus sees Jesus and approaches authoritatively from the front, face to face, man to man. She hears about Jesus and approaches furtively from behind, wanting to disappear without a trace. Jairus tells Jesus exactly what to do to heal his daughter. She dares not speak and just hopes that close touching will heal her. Jairus has a daughter who for 12 years has been thriving. She, for those same 12 years, has been languishing. They are opposites in every possible way, but they share one thing in common, and that is they are both desperate for healing from Jesus, and both are saved by Jesus. And so instead of focusing on Jairus or his daughter or the unnamed women, I thought today I'd reflect on this 
double salvation and what it reveals about Jesus. First, we see that Jesus graciously responds to whatever imperfect, desperate, theologically suspect faith that is brought to him. Both Jairus and the woman wrongly and superstitiously believed that touching Jesus would bring healing. Jairus tells Jesus, come and lay your hands on my daughter and then she will be made well or she will be saved. And the woman thought to herself, if I just touch even his clothes, then I will be made well or I will be saved. Early in Mark, Jesus had healed in this way. He had healed a leper through touch and others were healed through touch. And so it's a reasonable mistaken belief. But theirs is not the 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 one-of-a-kind, Jesus-surprising faith of someone like the centurion who said, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. You don't have to touch anyone. Just say the word, and I know that my servant will be healed. Their faith, I think, is more like ours. It's held in this crucible of hope mixed with fear. We can see here that having faith is not about having all the correct set of reformed and doctrinally correct beliefs. That's not what leads to wellness and salvation. Rather, their faith is a radical trust in Jesus. It's the conviction that Jesus can save. And it's that conviction that empowers them to take action that overcomes their understandable fears and the many social barriers preventing them from approaching Jesus. Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, has to overcome his own pride. And in his desperate faith, he's able to bow down before Jesus, who at that moment is an itinerant preacher. He's basically a cult leader in the eyes of the established religion. And the woman had even more to overcome. Mark describes her with this long series of seven past participles in one long sentence. Having suffered having spent money, having not benefited, having gotten worse, having heard about Jesus, and having come from behind. And then comes the main verb, she touched Jesus' garment. That's faith. Despite all that had happened to her, she still had the agency and was able to reach out in faith. And Jesus receives their offering of imperfect faith. Jesus goes along with Jerry's suggestion that he come and lay his hands on his daughter, even though it's not necessary. And when the woman touches his garment, Jesus says he sends power flowing out of him. I don't know that anyone really understands what that means. But it does say something about the intimacy of the incarnation and the empathy that Jesus has, that he recognized as she recognized a change in her body he recognized, or he perceived, a change in his body. Jesus knows the difference between the crowds just bumping into him and the one person who reaches out in faith, even if that faith is confused. That's good news for us. It means that we can come before God with defective, deformed faiths, as all our faith must be. Tiny, trembling faiths. Incorrect, broken faiths. A faith as fragile as a bruised reed, he will not reject. Secondly, we see that Jesus values the life 
the well-being of every daughter, of every child, of every life. What's really striking about this passage uh, about Jesus here is that he's willing to delay his visit to a child on the verge of death to listen to a woman explain her history about a chronic, non-life-threatening illness that he could have easily healed and heard about the next day. Jairus was probably going crazy as Jesus patiently listened to the woman tell her story. He had told Jesus his whole story in an efficient, no-frills, 15-word sentence. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she will be made well and live. Mark does not tell us what the woman said, only that it was the whole truth. I hope I'm not putting myself in too much trouble here. But let me posit that women typically like to explain things in a little more detail than men. Amen? <laughs> no amen. Wow. Wow. Okay. Just yesterday, um, I asked my wife if Catherine was going to join her on a pastoral visit. When I asked that question, I was just kind of looking for yes or no. But she spent nearly a minute going over and summarizing that entire conversation. And honestly, I got a little lost in all the details, and I was driving, and I can't really multitask, so I'm not sure what the answer was. You know, and I don't want to ask because I didn't want her to think that, you know, I wasn't paying attention. What I am sure is that she used more than 15 words and probably pulled in more than seven participles. If we had been one of Jesus' handlers, we would have triaged this, right? If you've ever been to an emergency room, this is what they do. You treat the most desperate, life-threatening cases first, and then, eventually, after unnecessary delays, you get to everybody else. We tell Jesus, hey, let's go heal this girl on the verge of death first, right? Let's take care of her, this daughter of this pillar of the community. Let's heal her, and then maybe we'll get a nice thank you dinner afterwards. And then, and then, if we have some time, we can run a free clinic for the poor. That's how you do it, but not Jesus. It's amazing. Right? When we look at Jesus' life, he's never rushed. He's never flustered for time. Despite the fact that everybody wanted a piece of him, despite the fact that he was so, so incredibly busy, he is always fully and non-anxiously present for everyone. He's never too distracted to have a conversation. He's never too high and mighty to ignore a nameless woman. He's never too busy for a child, to bless a child whom his disciples would prefer to just simply shoo away. Jesus is as attentive to the woman's whole truth as he was to Jairus's just the facts account. I think for me, you know, Jesus models how we, we have to create the kind of space in our lives 
to be able to listen to each other's whole stories. I know typically on Sundays, um, in a way, I, I kind of have to triage myself because there's so many people I have to talk to. I hear about things throughout the week, and I want to try to make sure I touch base with some people. And sometimes I know I'm thinking about the next person I have to talk to while I'm talking with one person. And what Jesus reminds me is that there's enough time. There's enough time. So, so be present and give each other enough time to listen to the whole story. If it's 15 words, you know, for some of the guys here, I mean, that's probably more than you're going to get. But if others want to tell their whole truth, be present and listen. I think many of us have been taught to approach life or healing or even faith as if it's a zero-sum game. Whether it's getting into college or getting a job or getting an appointment with a medical specialist or getting that reservation for Valentine's Day that's coming up, we have been sold on the myth of scarcity and that we have to do everything we can to get it before someone else takes it from us. But Jesus is laying out here a different kind of economy. There is enough healing. There is enough salvation for everyone. This is not like Sophie's choice, an impossible decision to be made between saving only one of two children. There are two daughters here. Both can be saved. Both will be saved. In fact, all can be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us that God is patient towards you, not wanting that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance and therefore be saved. That's good news, right? It means that Jesus has time for you, for your story. It means that your life story matters to him. You matter to him. And thirdly, we see that Jesus wants to do far more than simply heal someone from their illness. He wants a restoration, a wholeness, the shalom, the peace of God. This is why Jesus takes opposite approaches in the saving of these two daughters. With the woman, he stops the parade. He pointedly asks and calls her out to tell her story. That's the last thing she wanted to do. She desperately did not want to be seen. She just wanted to touch his clothes and then kind of fall back into the crowd and disappear. Jesus could have allowed her to do that. Instead, he waits for her to admit what she had done and to come forward in fear and trembling. And despite that, to tell the whole truth because he wants everyone to hear that story. And then after she gives her testimony, Jesus says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. It's more than the healing of the disease. She has been made well, and she can go in peace. He calls her daughter. He reminds her and everyone present that she, too, is someone's daughter. And more than that, she, too, is a child of God, a daughter of God, and that there is a father in heaven who is looking out for her just as Jairus was looking out for his daughter. He publicly acknowledges her healing not to bring attention to himself as a great healer, but so that all can know that she has been healed and she can be and must be 
reincorporated, brought back into the life of the community. Jesus knows that this woman will now have to return to a culture that devalues women. Though she is healed, she will still have to face the harsh realities of poverty. She will still have to struggle with having lived through this dozen years of isolation, of being considered unclean and ostracized, the loneliness. None of that gets fixed instantaneously. The circumstances of her life are not magically removed even after she is healed. Yesterday, Pastor Charles and I had a chance to attend a seminar uh, about uh, prison reform, especially as it relates to those who uh, are aging, the aging population uh, in our prisons. There were these incredibly sad and powerful testimonies of redemption. And we were reminded that getting out of prison is just a start. It's just the first step of a long process of healing and of being reincorporated into the life of their families and their communities. It was pointed out that one of the most important factors in reducing a return to prison prison is community support. It's community support. Getting healed is just the start. Jesus wants her to experience well-being, peace, wholeness. And for that, she will need the support of the community. Remember last week? The man with legion was told to go back to his home and his family even though he wanted to hang out with Jesus. It's the same thing here. Jesus is looking to restore wholeness to her and to her community. And that's why with Jairus' daughter, Jesus takes the opposite tack to achieve the same end. He literally throws everyone out except for her parents and three of his disciples. He wants as little attention Right? Just the opposite. He wants as little attention as possible given to her healing and to do this as inconspicuously as he can because he doesn't want all, all the townspeople gawking at her as some weird medical anomaly. He simply says, hey kid, get up. No fanfare. And then he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Can you imagine if this news got out, the paparazzi? It's a small town and everyone would know and would want to know more. And I think here Jesus is trying to shield her that maybe without other witnesses, people will think that she was just sick and got better. You see that Jesus is not concerned about his reputation. He's not trying to grow his ministry. He's not looking for people and disciples with ever more spectacular stories and testimonies. He is not looking to add to his entourage. He is not looking for photo ops to post on social media. He is not trying to flex his miracle muscles. Instead, he just tells him, hey, give her something to eat. It's such a motherly gesture because he wants them to know that she is not some spirit now that she will never need to eat again because she has been miraculously resuscitated no she's the same little girl he restores her to her full humanity and that is what is going to lead to her well-being and wholeness with both daughters jesus wants to do more than heal 
He wants to bring wholeness, the, the, the broad well-being, shalom of God. And that's good news. Because Jesus wants the same for us. Let me close with this. I began the sermon by mentioning that the first time I preached uh, on this text was when I was in seminary. A few years later, I had an opportunity to preach on this text again. And instead of focusing on Jairus in that sermon, I found myself highlighting the woman with the bleeding problem. I was becoming um, maybe a little more mature, more socially conscious, certainly. And I preached then about the need to welcome social outcasts, the need for better medical care for the poor, the crossing of social boundaries to build community, and so on. Then the last time I preached on this passage, as far as I can remember, was about 11 years ago, when my own daughter, coincidentally, was about 12 years old. I spoke then about what it meant to have faith as a father, and about how you do anything to help your sick child, and how the faith of a parent can bring Jesus into the lives of their children. Today, I know that none of you would wish this, but I wish I had about two hours to really thoroughly discuss this text. Because <laughs> I'm not sure I'll get another chance to talk about this. I'm not going to, you don't have to worry. You know, and, and I'm sharing this because I, I hope you can at least see that each time I've come to the text, I came with an, certainly a not fully formed faith. That each time I came with broken lenses as I studied, because in each case, I did not know Jesus as well as hopefully I know him now. And what I realized this week is that there are two women in my life, my wife and my daughter, who are both daughters and who are struggling with some ongoing ailments. And I can tell you that I have bowed before Jesus asking for miraculous healings and I've asked that, barring that, then I've asked for good doctors and medicines. And I know that all of you, too, have prayed those same prayers for your daughters and for your sons. And I know as we get older, we enter into that stage of life where these prayers become ever more common. The other day at FG, you know, I realized um, a couple of people couldn't make it because they, they, uh, they had some health issues. And those of us who did show up, when we went around sharing, we all talked about the various health problems we were having. I mean, that's the season of my life now. Healing is important, and we pray for it. We do all we can to reduce suffering and pain, but I think we must also be mindful that while healing is wonderful, it is also temporary. Eventually, even the most fit bodies will succumb to old age. Even Tom Brady. <laughs> you know, I can remember at some point in my mother's illness where I knew I could no longer pray for her healing. I had to accept that healing was not going to be possible anymore. But I also realized that I could continue to pray for more than healing. I could pray for wholeness, for peace, I think Jesus knows all this, of course. 
And his healing of the woman and the raising of this child points to a deeper truth that will be revealed later in the Gospels. Jesus wants to do more than simply heal us of our infirmities. Our hope is not that we can delay death through faith. Our hope is that death will be defeated permanently, not temporarily. Our hope is that in Jesus Christ, death will be defeated forever. Healing is temporary, but so is death. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus saved these two daughters, he's able to save all his daughters and all his sons. The healing and the raising of this child points to a future when all who are in Christ will be raised and healed and saved. It doesn't matter if you're anonymous or an archisynagogos, forgettable or honorable, full of resources or among the poorest, thriving or languishing. So bring your faith in whatever shape it is, and ask boldly for what you need, and trust that he will save you now and in the life to come. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who saves, and that you accept whatever faith that we can muster and bring to you. And we know that it is not the strength of our faith, but the strength of the one in whom we have placed that faith that will make all the difference. So God, we come to you today with all our brokenness, with all our infirmities and iniquities, and we ask for healing and for your salvation. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.